And I was asked to, uh, well, I got a call. Uh, my cell phone rang. I, got, I had to go to a call. It was work. And they said, you're supposed to be at a funeral. And I said, what are you talking about? And they said, we have you down to do a funeral in Vicksburg. And I said, for who? And they said, they told me the name of the lady. And they, I said, well, y'all didn't tell me I was supposed to do this funeral. And they said, well, you got to come now. The funeral home's ready. And I said, well, I'm in shorts. I'm in Crocs. And they said, it's okay. Come on. I said, I don't have anything prepared. They said, it doesn't matter. Just come on. So I drove from Jackson, Mississippi to Vicksburg where the funeral was being held. It took about 45 minutes for me to get there. On the way, I called some of my seminary buddies and said, y'all give me some material. And so I was scribbling on the interstate I-20 down to Vicksburg, just scribbling down some things to say. I got there. And the funeral, uh, the, the people that were there for the funeral for this woman, it was two funeral directors, one of the um, sales reps, persons for the, uh, for the hospice company I worked for, and myself. That was it. She was being laid to rest in a pauper's grave with no one else there. It's 95 degrees, and I was thankful at that moment to be in shorts. <laughs> but the, um, the, uh, the men that were there, kind of uh, the men that were doing the funeral, that were helping out with it, they, they just kind of said, you know, we've never seen anything like this where no one shows up to, to this, to a funeral. Um, it was a sad thing. She was laid to rest, and she had been forgotten by most everyone in her life. She had no family. She did have a son, but they had been estranged, and he didn't want to be there for the funeral. Um, it's moments like that where you reflect on your own life. You ask, what kind of life am I living? And it's a text like this with the death of Samuel or the things that we see in here. It's an opportunity for us to reflect on our own lives and our own life and our own death. Um, it's just one verse. I think we learn a lot in this one verse about Samuel, though. Um, let me read this for us. I'll just read the first part of First uh, Samuel 25, verse 1. This is God's good and kind word to you this morning. Now, Samuel died, and all Israel assembled and mourned for him. And they buried him in his house at Ramah. Grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Let's pray and ask for his help in understanding this passage. Father, we thank you for giving us this word, and we thank you again for your servant Samuel. I pray that we would learn not about Samuel necessarily in this passage, not about ourselves, but that we would learn and see Jesus, that we would behold him in his glory. For you have told us that all of the scripture is about him. We pray this in Christ's holy name. Amen. So there are basically three different verbs that, that are in this text. Um, three things that happen. First of all, Samuel died. That's the first point today. Samuel died. I mentioned it a second ago with the children that Samuel was an unlikely hero. He was an unlikely hero. The most unlikely person to have two books of the Bible named after him. He actually should not have been born. He had, uh, there were miraculous circumstances surrounding his birth. His, his mother Hannah could not have children. She was despised for that. But the Lord blessed her with Samuel. And Hannah said, Lord, if you give me a child, I will dedicate my child to the Lord. And so she did. Uh, she brought Samuel uh, after she had weaned him. So probably around the age of three years old, she brought him to the tabernacle, to Eli the priest, and she said, this one belongs to the Lord. 
She had a child, and she dedicated him to the Lord. And we learn a lot in there about our own children, about our own lives, um, because none of our children are our own. They belong to the Lord. And we're to give all of our children to the Lord and say, Lord, you do with them as you see fit. Hannah did that. And from that moment on with Hannah and in Samuel's life, it was an example to us about the, the way in which we are to be dedicated to the Lord as well. Um, he was, uh, you know, so here was Samuel, um, not supposed to be there, raised in the tabernacle by Eli. Uh, Eli, the priest who raised his other two sons, um, he raised wicked sons, but alongside of them, the Lord preserved uh, Samuel. And Samuel was not wicked. He was um, strong and courageous. And at a very early age, the Lord used Samuel to speak truth into the lives of the Israelites. He told Eli something he didn't want to tell him. He told Eli that God was going to cut Eli and his family off from the priesthood because of their wickedness. And at about the age of 12 or 13, he had to preach that sermon to Eli. But he was courageous in doing that. He trusted in the Lord. He actually is one of the only people, there are only two people in the Bible that are lauded for their prayers, uh, and that's Moses and Samuel. He's one of the top two prayers in the Bible, apart from Jesus, of course. But uh, the Psalms particularly point out Moses and Samuel, that he was a warrior in his prayers. And then the rest of the story is um, he served Israel faithfully, He proclaimed the good news to them, even in the midst of wickedness. Um, He actually stood in the gap between the Philistine armies as they were attacking. He said, and and it's an amazing chapter, uh, 1 Samuel chapter 7, where Samuel stood in the gap and the Philistine army was charging and he stood with a little lamb. He cut its throat, sacrificed the lamb, and the blood was spilt and God's people were saved in that day. And, and Samuel, the whole point of Samuel's life was not to say, look at me and look at how great I am. The whole point was in that episode, he said, look at the lamb, the lamb that was slain for you. And that's what made him great. But he died at the most awkward and worst time imaginable. He was the only faithful leader of Israel left. Saul the king has turned away from God, and we've been following his exploits and how wicked he had been. And then, you know, a few chapters ago, we saw that Saul killed 85 of the priests. The high priest was no longer there. So you have a wicked king, no priesthood, and now the prophet. God's voice to the people is dead. He died at the worst possible time. There's no national or spiritual security for the people, and the people are in trouble. And we learn from this that, you know, really there's no good time for death. There's no right time for death. Because death is not natural. Death is inevitable for mortals like us, because it is given to us once to die, as we read earlier today in Hebrews. But it's not natural. And everything inside of us, whenever we see death or experience death, it cries out and says, this is not the way things are supposed to be. But here's the reality, and here's the truth, and here's something that should bring us courage. Samuel's death is all by the plan and the design of God. From 
Israel's perspective, he died at the worst possible time. But from God's perspective, he died exactly when he was supposed to. God is working these things out. And none of this is outside of what God is doing to bless his people, even the death of this great man. Things don't just happen. There are no coincidences in God's world. All things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purposes. It may seem like an untimely death, but there's no such thing in God's world in the way that he operates. That's a good thing for us to remember. Samuel died, and it's in God's hand. Secondly, the second verb we see is that Israel mourned. Israel mourned. We're actually told that all Israel mourned. Now, I don't think that whenever we're told that all Israel mourned, that literally every single person from Israel showed up in one place to mourn. We know that David went to go mourn Samuel, but we know that if David was there, Saul probably wasn't there. When it says all Israel mourned, it means that there was a representative group of people that represented all Israel, and they all mourned together there at Ramah, where where Samuel operated from. They assembled together. The word that's used there, all Israel assembled, uh, that's the word for worship. That's actually what the word church means. When we gather for church, when we gather in an assembly, or that's that's what congregation means, an assembly, it's we gather for worship. And, And God's people here gathered for a worship service to mourn the loss of this great man. They mourned and they are grieved by Samuel, by his loss. Now, I overhear this from time to time, and, and it's, said, um, it's said, and it's well-intended whenever it's said by some of us, and, and you've probably said this, I don't want anyone to cry at my funeral. I don't want anyone to shed any tears at my funeral. Um, I want everyone to be happy, and I want it to be a celebration. Now, I, I think a couple of things about that. I get what's being said at, whenever you say that. But it's very presumptuous to think that anyone actually would cry for you whenever you die. (laughs) I just want to say that outright. I mean, probably, hopefully, somebody will cry for you when you die. But it's an appropriate thing for us to, to express grief in death. Death, because it's not natural, because it's not the way God intended for things to go, it's hard reality. And so the people of Israel gather together in worship, and they mourn the loss of this great man. Now Christians need to hold a couple things in tension whenever we talk about death and funerals and some of those things because funerals are hard times, but for those that have faith in Christ that die it with faith in Christ, we know that they are immediately in the presence of Jesus Christ. And so we can celebrate that and enjoy that and we need to hold those two things in tension. I believe it's only Christians that can both mourn and celebrate the death of a loved one, because we have eternal hope for them. But I want you to think about Samuel and think about them mourning Samuel. Why did they mourn Samuel? Why was his loss felt so much so that all Israel gathered to mourn together? Well, it's because he had been faithful to Yahweh. He was a committed servant of Yahweh, and he faithfully executed what God wanted him to do. He was faithful in the task that God had given him. He spoke the truth to people even when they did not want to hear it. 
He told them whenever they wanted a king, you do you should not want a king. You don't need a king. You don't want this king. He's going to enslave you. He's going to do all of these things that are going to be wicked and terrible and bad. And they said, no, we want a king. And Samuel said, I've warned you. He spoke the truth even when they didn't want to listen. And again, he pointed them to the lamb. He constantly pointed them back to Yahweh and Yahweh's great love for his people. He actually, year after year, would make a circuit. He would go to the cities of Israel and would, would kind of like a circuit rider preacher, and would proclaim the good news to the people of God. He was faithful. That's why people mourned his loss. Well, just briefly, are people going to what are they going to mourn whenever you're gone, or will you be mourned at all? What's the greatest thing that can be said about an individual at their funeral? they were a good father, a good mother, that they were a good employee or a good employer, that they accumulated a lot of wealth, that they were fun to be around, that they were just a good person? Are those, are those the best things that can be said of an individual at a funeral? Let me tell you something. All of those things are shallow and meaningless. If you want people to say those things and for that to be the best thing that is said about you at your funeral then you have put your hope in shallow and meaningless things. Because it doesn't matter if you were wealthy, if you were smart. It really doesn't matter eternally if you were a good mom or a good dad. The only thing that should be said of you and me in our funeral, the only thing that really matters is that your life is about Jesus Christ. That your life is about Him. In Him only. That's the best thing. That's the only thing that matters in this life or in the next one. That's the only thing that matters. Does your life exude that reality? That the most important thing is not who you are, but who Jesus Christ is for you. Is your life living proof not of your goodness not of who you try to be really, really, that you really try to be day after day, but is your life the living proof that you are a sinner who has received a lot of grace from a gracious and merciful Savior? Is that what your life says? All of us are going to have a funeral one day. And I might be able to do your funeral one day. What am I going to be able to say about your life? So Israel mourned. Thirdly, Israel buried Samuel. Um, There's a lot that can be said in this. We live in a culture that is more and more and increasingly paganized and becoming more pagan. Um, There is this belief uh, from the Enlightenment period and from Enlightenment thinkers that as we get more scientific in our views and as we apply the scientific method more and more and more to various aspects of life, that we are getting more and more sophisticated, that we are getting less and less superstitious, and that we aren't relying on spiritual things as much. Well, nothing could be further from the, from the truth. We are actually living in a world that is more and more pagan, that is more and more superstitious, that is more and more spiritual uh, in some ways than we've ever seen before. And there's a paganization that is happening in the United States. And the proof of that is what we see in the rise in the the desire for cremation. 
Um, it has not been very long where Christians have said, I want to be cremated at my death. Uh, and so there's going to be an opportunity for us at some point, and I need to preach on this, on, uh, on cremation versus burial. And I think those things are important, uh, bodily burial. But the reasons why Christians uh, traditionally have not cremated their dead is because they're trying to say something about the body. Pagan cultures and pagans in general do not view the body as necessary or important. And actually, they view the body, the physical stuff of life, the things that you can touch and feel and see and all that, they view that not just as neutral but as evil. And what pagans say about us is that we are souls imprisoned in a physical body. And so pagans bury or or they don't typically don't bury their dead. They burn them in order to release the non-physical stuff, the the spirit from the body. And that's the way that it's been seen for millennia. That's that's how they've done it. But Christians have not done that. Christians have said, the body matters. You were not simply made as a spirit to be housed in a body for a, a short amount of time. God individually made your body for you in your body the way that you're made, both in your physical body and in your spiritual body, united together are absolutely vital and crucial to who you are. And so we bury people in order to show that the body matters. And one day, what's going to happen? Your soul and your body will be joined back together when Christ comes to reclaim his people. You will live, if you have faith in Christ, in your physical body for all eternity. I mean, just imagine that. For all eternity, the body that you have now is the body that you will have for all of eternity. Now, it'll be a better body than you have right now. Um, It'll be the perfected body. That's good news, okay? Um, The reality is, I'm probably going to be 5'4 into eternity, and that's good. (laughs) I used to hope, well, maybe I'll finally be 6'5", like I've always wanted to be. I probably won't be. But I'll finally understand that this body that God gave me is a good body. The reality is that the body is important. We bury our dead for that reason. Just as Jesus was raised in a physical body, so will Samuel be raised in a physical body. So will you be raised in a physical body. Burial was an act of faith for them, and it still is an act of faith for us. It says this, that God can use any means at his disposal to preach the good news. And in laying someone to rest in the ground, we are saying that God can use our death to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. Even in death, God wins. And it's a vivid reminder that it's not natural. Um, that saying, you know, from dust you were taken into dust you shall return, when we say that at funerals, dust to dust, that is not the statement of a Christian saying it's the circle of life. Um, The circle of life is paganism. Lion King is paganism. As much as I love that movie, it's not true. The circle of life is not to be completed by you, but to be completed by God. You are an individual creation of God. And whenever we say from dust you are taken to dust you return, it's a reminder of the curse that we are all under and the fact that it is not supposed to be that way. It's a vivid reminder of that curse. 
and the promise of a better day that is to come when God, in Jesus Christ and through Jesus Christ, makes all things new as he has promised. So what will your death say? What will your burial say? What things will you take an opportunity to have said at your funeral? Will your death matter? Will your life matter? Let me conclude by saying a few things. Um, Samuel's death should not necessarily reflect or cause us to reflect on Samuel's death or our death. I think the most, uh, although we can do that, the, the primary thing here, the most important thing is to show that Samuel was a great man, but he died. There was nothing that he could do to prevent his death. How much more, if, if Samuel was a great man and was mourned, how much more should Christ have been mourned? Samuel was a sinner. He was a good man. He wasn't perfect. He was a sinner. But all Israel mourned. And think about this. Jesus Christ, the God-man, fully God, fully man, the second person of the Trinity, incarnate in human flesh, came and lived among us. And when he died, who was there to mourn him? Very few people. God himself was not mourned in his death. Samuel was mourned and accepted. Jesus was not mourned and was rejected. Very few people cared about his funeral. And here's the reality. His death means life for you. He was rejected so that you can be accepted. Your life should not be about doing great things for Jesus. Um, that might be a shock to you <laughs> to hear that. But your life should not be about doing great and wonderful things for Jesus. Your life needs to be about Jesus Christ doing great things for you. That's the mark of a Christian. That's the mark of what it means to live well. And in the Lord's Supper today, we see that. We celebrate the reality. Jesus' body was broken so that ours won't have to be. He shed his blood so that we can be covered by his blood. He took the penalty that we deserve so that we can stand before God the Father, fully free, fully accepted, fully loved. His death. We proclaim it until he comes again, because by that we receive life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for giving us this meal today. I pray, Father, uh, that you would help us as we uh, partake in it to see the glory of Jesus Christ. We thank you for your servant Samuel. We thank you for all of your servants who have passed on into glory, who have made their lives about Jesus Christ. I pray that we would be encouraged here today to make our life about him as well. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.